0: This episode of Pub Talk Live was broadcast on December 28, 2019, with guest co host Heidi Heilig and special guest Danielle Clayton. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to the December 28th episode of Pub Talk Live, the live publishing talk show airing the second and fourth Saturday of every month at 9 p.m. Eastern. I'm your host, Sarah Nicholas. I'm a young adult author, um, the current managing director of Pitch Wars, and I'm also a library event planner. Uh, Just a reminder, you can subscribe to Reminders via email by clicking on the link in the description so you don't miss a show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Pub Talk Live. Um, and of course, like and subscribe right here on YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can find a link to the Patreon near the end of the video description down below that amazingly pays for like technology costs. So um, and thank you so much to our Patreon, our Patreon supporters who are they're gonna, We're going to list them later. Um, and today I have two guests that I'm very excited about. And I'm going to introduce my guest co-host first. Heidi Heilig is a young adult novelist and theater writer. Her books included The Girl from Everywhere uh, and the Shadow Player series. She holds an MFA from New York University and musical theater writing of all things. And she's written books and lyrics for shows, including the Time Travelers Convention, Under Construction, and The Hole. So please welcome to the show. Heidi. Hi, good to
1: hey. see you. Good to see you. Good to be here.
0: Oh, it's, it's really good to see you. I'm so excited um, you agreed to come on because when I when I was even just like thinking about the show, you were like one of the first persons that oh. I thought of wanting to have on. So
1: Thank I'm so, so excited much. to hear. Um, It's nice to be here. I've been in Hawaii and I've been kind of out of it because of the holidays. So it's good to like get my brain started and like talk <laughs> to human beings and like not be, you know, just in like island time constantly. So yeah, good to yeah. see you.
0: Yeah, you're, it's like the middle of the day over there, right?
1: Yes, it's like 3 p.m., so. <laughs> or four, something. I don't even know. Some, It's the afternoon. It's nice. Okay. Is singing. <laughs>
0: um. So the first thing is I just wanna mention the viewer poll, and I dropped a link to that in the comments on YouTube. So um, if you haven't voted in that yet, make sure you go and vote it. And this is um, relevant to something we're going to talk about today. Uh, It's do you belong to a writer's organization? And um, just to let you know, Twitter only allows you to have like four options. So I wasn't able to be like as, you know, succinct as I wanted to be. So if you're in an international writing group, just like go ahead and include that in the national writing group. Um, And then um, if you're like on an online writing group, Feel free to do whatever you think fits best, because <laughs> um, I wasn't able to include all those different options.
1: Yeah, the polls are really short. It's like they—it's yeah. they, like it's like joke polls. But but it, I'm yeah. glad that you're. It's a good question to ask.
0: It's yeah. There you can only have twenty-five characters for each answer. Yeah, so. not enough. Yeah, Ebony is here. Ebony says hello. Hi. Ebony has been here almost every episode, I think. Oh, that's awesome. Can, Kendra as well says hello. Hey, Kendra. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So this is like a weird time of year. um, And I was kind of thinking that we wouldn't have a lot of news to talk about, but that turns out not to be the case.
1: (laughs) It creeps up on you. Everyone wanted to get dramatic for Christmas. I feel a little bad. I feel like
0: I kind of wished this into existence by like hoping we would have something to talk about. No,
1: it's like, you know, everyone gets around the dinner table and they have to fight, you know, like it's just, it's just people fighting except for, you know, not at the dinner table and gr- maybe grocer, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. There's just no food flying.
0: <laughs> That's true.
1: You think, maybe.
0: I mean, I feel like in this situation, anything could happen. So it's true. Uh, yeah. So if you don't know what we're talking about, I'll, I'll try to summarize as briefly as I can, and then we'll talk about a little bit about it. So just before Christmas, it was revealed that popular romance author and former board member Courtney Milan had been censured, suspended and banned from leadership roles in the Romance Writers of America, which is commonly called RWA, for calling out racist tropes in a book written by an editor of a publishing house on Twitter. Uh, there was obviously immediate outcry and criticism, the board rescinded their decision, and then many of them, most of them women of color, citing a lack of trust in leadership, resigned along with many other officers and volunteers. This includes the president. Over the past couple of days, a lot of information has come to light showing a pattern of dubious behavior, including procedures being followed or changed, complaints from marginalized authors not being followed up on at all, the ethics committee being secretly superseded, and a lot more. (laughs) And so in summary, RWA, one of the, if not the largest professional writers organization in the country, is in crisis due to years of essentially unchecked bigotry. I'll leave links in the description later tonight if you want to learn more about the situation, because there is... A summary that ta- it's like several pages long. So again, this is just like the highlights. Um, but currently <laughs> many <laughs> right. <laughs> currently, um, many chapter leaders and other leading voices are petitioning to recall president-elect turned president Damon Swade and asking for the executive director's resignation. Many marginalized authors and allies have chosen to leave the organization entirely, but others are choosing to stay and fight, unwilling to leave RWA's vast resources in the hands of officers and members who have ignored or perpetuated racist and homophobic transgressions.
1: So that's a lot. It's so much, it's so much, but it's such an old story. It's like tales old as time. Like, I feel like we're all struggling with that constantly. Every every few months it's something. I mean, it's terrible that it's such a huge organization, but I feel like, I feel like it, I mean, I feel like it's just, it's been a long time coming. I know Courtney has been speaking up against racism and romance for years now. And and so so still have so many other people, mostly authors of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess it was kind of uh, finally boiled over.
0: Yeah. And um, I actually wrote that summary last night. And so um, we even have like, there's the conversation has kind of shifted today and last night i um, focusing on Damon Suede and a lot of people are, are talking about him and different things that they have experienced with him over the years. And I do want to say like, this really took me by surprise because I've always been friendly with Damon. He goes to a conference that I always go to a small conference. Um, and he I'm all, has always been like, you know, very nice and supportive of me, but, um, I mean, that doesn't mean, obviously, it doesn't mean he hasn't done these things, right? I was just
1: surprised by them. It's so hard, right, when someone, because, uh, jer- can I say uh, jerks? Okay, I'll say jerks. I won't use the squares. Okay, so jerks are always jerks to only a few people, right, or else they wouldn't get anywhere. Like, yeah. very few people are jerks to everyone, and so I think it's it's uniquely it's, it's worse obviously for the people who are directly affected, but there's this unique weird feeling to like having been friends with someone who's suddenly revealed to be a jerk. Like you're like, Whoa, what did I miss? Like, how did I, how was, what did I participate? Like yeah. what? And then you doubt yourself and your own sense of like how to, how, how to keep yourself safe and keep others safe. It's like, it's not a good feeling for anyone involved.
0: Yeah.
1: Ebony says it's so sad and unfortunate. It is. It really is it really is. It's such a big group. And like, I know there are a lot of good people in it and, you know, they've been doing good work. I know the Rita's last year, wasn't it last year where there yeah. were like big strides made.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but it's really sad to see such, I guess with any progress, there's always backlash, but it's, yeah. it's hard to see it happening, but maybe out of the dust, it can be like a Phoenix. It can rise new after all this dross is burned away. So.
0: Yeah. You know. Well, I know like, um, some some organizations have gone through similar things, like SFWA, the Science right. Fiction Writers of America, had that blow up a couple of years ago, and they seem to be doing better.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then, of course, Pitch Wars, which I'm involved with, had right. was that, that dust up two years ago. And I think I think what happened there is is similar to what needs to happen here. And so Brenda, who's a founder of Pitch Wars basically handed over the 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 running of the organization to a committee of people um, and most of the people on that committee are in some sort of marginalized identity um, and she really listened to what people were saying and um, she apologized and and she made steps to make sure that you know mm-hmm. it didn't happen again um, right. and so so a lot of people are calling for the, the resignation of the board, the remaining board members, because at least eight of them have resigned.
1: That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. It's hard yeah. to build anything of that. But I, I can also see the other side because when you have absolutely you start with nothing or no institutional memory, it's it's hard to sort of keep yeah. things going. But maybe it all needs to go. I don't know. I mean obviously people who are on the inside of the of the board and on the inside of of rwa itself would know better um but it just seems like such a such a hard thing to come back from but i but but there are steps there are obviously steps that other people have taken and that can be taken to um to do better in the future and i hope that they complete it and it's not just like the the apology and then not the action uh, because too often i see the, there's the apology step but but not the action step and that's the hardest part i think
0: yeah definitely Um... I was gonna say something but i was listening to you and then i forgot <laughs> oh um yeah the staff members so a lot of people are coming out and saying that staff members have kind of diverted ethics complaints especially complaints related to um authors of color yeah. um, and there have been a lot that have come out um and that never made it to the ethics committee oh. and so i think um we're gonna need in order for people to have trust in the organization, again, we're gonna need to see a change in the staff as well.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, yeah, that's, anyone else have any, <laughs> anything to add? Um, Ebony, can I ask you, cause I know you're watching, how does my mic sound? So I changed it up a little bit today. And so I wanted to make sure I'm not like way louder than Heidi or, or way quieter than Heidi. Um, and I know it takes a couple of seconds for it to like kind of, um, for the comments to come through, so I'll wait until I see that.
1: Okay. Um, Just sorry about that little blip. My son came into the room <laughs> and was like, "Hi, where's a diaper for my baby?" So, oh, okay, uh, sorry, family stuff. <laughs>
0: um, he he had something to say about the RWA thing. Yeah, where's the <laughs>
1: diaper? We kind of there's <laughs> <like> a mess. <laughs> no, no, yeah, he um he's not quite at the age. If there were uh, some kerfuffle though in the um, early readers. He would definitely be all over that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, hopefully nothing. <laughs> hopefully nothing happens with that group. Oh
0: man. Um, okay. So they said that sounds good. So
1: cool. All right.
0: Um, all right. Uh, moving on then, I guess. Yeah. Let me see.
1: <laughs> I know there's a t- there's actually a ton of news. So we have tariffs on good goods from China. Uh, Tariffs on goods for China that were supposed to go into effect on December 15th were suspended, which is a big relief for publishers of picture books, coloring books, and drawing books. Uh, These books were exempt from the first round of tariffs in September and would have taken a hit for this round. and Maria Palante, president and CEO of the Association of American Publishers, said, we look forward to the removal of all tariffs on books, returning us to our nation's longstanding policy of not imposing tariffs on educational, scientific, and cultural materials. Yeah, I like and that little jab at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of a little, I mean, but you know, that's why they, that's, <laughs> I, I, lo- I always love the quotes that are so um, succinct. And kind of (laughs) well-rounded and just a little bit like but you know it's a children's book publisher so they are always very careful um (laughs) but yeah speaking of kerfuffles with picture books and early readers i'm glad i mean i'm glad to know that we are not um i don't know it's so hard i mean it's so hard with money now i feel like i feel like the real problem is that wages are so stagnant that it's so hard to pay for books and pay Books, what they're really worth. I know that. I know that tariffs are not exactly the same thing, but I think that um, making books harder to access is always a bad choice. But at a certain point, I think that it all comes back to wages and the need for a little more money in the pockets of readers that that so they can afford books that you know to to give to yeah. their to their kiddos and then fill their libraries.
0: Yeah, and we've seen um, these Chinese tariffs affect the consumer price of goods. And mm-hmm. so um, we definitely don't need the price of children's books to go up more. Yeah, no, I to. know. It's true. Yeah. I
1: think, well, isn't there also something with printing? The paper is like, is has been affected. I mean, obviously as well. Yeah,
0: there's there's like a paper shortage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, there's a really good Twitter thread. I, I don't remember where it is um, that talks about that.
1: Mm-hmm. But. Well,
0: they won't they won't be rising because of this. So that it's been yeah. sus- was it suspended,
1: right? Suspended, so. uh huh. For for the December section, it was supposed to go into effect earlier, and then they suspended it again. So that's good. Or, yeah. or the, they were they had a first round of tariffs, but then suspended mm-hmm. them. I guess I wonder when or if people are going to calm down. People in the government are going to calm down <laughs> about this pseudo trade war junk. Yeah, back and forth. I don't
0: know. Um, All right. uh,
1: Pride thing
0: to me, but yeah, that's, it definitely seems like it. And who knows what this administration, it might change next week. So (laughs) hopefully not. (laughs) Yeah. Fingers crossed for November. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, So we have some good news finally. Yeah. So in the last episode, we talked about Mysterious Galaxy search for a new owner and location, and they have found both. And um, so they have a, a couple that has agreed to buy the store and they found a new location already. And so they're going to remain open. Um, and everyone
1: is keeping their jobs. Everyone works for Mysterious
0: Galaxy. <laughs> so
1: nice, especially for the holiday season. That's like yeah. feel good news. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really exciting.
0: It was like a big, I know a lot of people were, were trying to boost that really hard, you know?
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, of bookstores, I read that George R. R. Martin opened a bookstore. Yeah. Um, and And I couldn't, now this is also a bit of, of, be but like i have been on deadline for this book and behind deadline for for my for my next book for ages and ages and ages i'm sorry to my editor if you're here um but like i i was thinking about how many people yell at george r, r. martin for not getting his next book done and then i saw you know the news saying that he w- he had opened his own little bookstore and like people were like just finish your book and he was like well i w- we will definitely stock my book when it's done <laughs> in the bookstore and i just i felt like ah, oh, i feel so bad for that guy because how hard it like i feel like it's hard to finish a book for me and the pressure is not at all comparable yeah to the kind of i mean like seven eight book series like waited people have waited for years i remember reading that book that series when it came out in 1996 and I, it's been so long. I stopped reading, so I said I would not pick them up again until the the last book comes out. But I will definitely read it when it comes out. But I don't. I feel like pressuring him is like I can't. I can't get behind that anymore because I know how bad I am at deadlines. But I wish. <laughs> I wish George R. R. Martin luck in his bookstore.
0: Oh, yeah. I hope he
1: finds peace <laughs> and some time to write.
0: Yeah, and I wasn't entirely sure either. Like how really involved he is with it.
1: Or, yeah, it's probably a pet project. I mean, if I had a bazillion dollars, I would definitely open a bookstore because why not?
0: <laughs> yeah. How fun. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, Bookscan reported that the top selling are reported on the top selling books of the decade with the first three spots all going to E.L. James. Speaking of romance. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, every title in the top 10 featured a female main character and also was adapted into a movie showing us Hollywood's powerful influence on book sales
1: yeah and uh, the ladies' powerful influence as well the yeah. buying power of uh, of people who like female leads and read female leads and appreciate them that's such a it's such a good thing to see
0: yeah um i'll leave a link down below later tonight where you can see all of the top 10 but um you're not going to be surprised by any of them you know they're the the usual suspects so
1: <laughs> yeah whenever you say i'm a i write ya it's going to be oh like insert book here like one of these um so more in more news uh pearson is selling its final 25 of shares in penguin random house to bertelsmann a german company which will now have 100 ownership Pearson has been struggling with decreasing revenue in their educational division and many think they need the cash.
0: Yeah, so Pearson was the original owner of Penguin, right? Mm -hmm. And then Random House, or Bertelsmann was the original owner of Random House. So,
1: so basically- Could be good, could be a good merger, right? Books, books, more books? No, (laughs) you think it would be bad?
0: I don't know. I don't I don't know whether it'll be good or bad. Um I honestly have no idea how this will be. It's so hard people. to tell. Yeah. It's so
1: hard to say how who what leadership will do with a company. I mean.
0: Yeah, sometimes acquisitions are good and sometimes they're not. So
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. Um let's see. Oh this so California is a new law going into effect January first. That is meant to reclassify what it means to be an employee versus a contractor and a lot of people are still trying to figure out what that is going to mean for the publishing industry i know it's really shaken up like bloggers and journalists um because the guideline that's been given for them is is 35 pieces so they can work on 35 stories basically before Mm -hmm. they're considered an employee Um, Mm -hmm. And so a lot of um, companies like blogging companies have either discontinued their relationship with California writers or um, slowed down, you know, their assignments that they're giving them. And I know people, uh, writers in California are really struggling with this.
1: And Um, this was all meant to zing Uber, wasn't it? And Lyft and all the other gig economy stuff. (laughs) And now it's but it kind of, it's interesting because it's it is I think unfortunate, and I think it's unfair to a lot of freelance writers who make their living that way. But I think it's also it's interesting because it exposes a flaw in the long-standing freelance writing economy that maybe they should have been treated better for longer, and maybe they should have been more salaried or given better health care or more perks. Yeah. After you know, g- getting you know, hundreds and hundreds of of pieces out of them. I feel like um, I don't know. I feel like everyone uh, can see the flaw, or a lot of people can see the flaw in in gig economy jobs like Uber and Lyft. But maybe it's it's less easy for some people to see the uh, the hardships associated with freelance writing until um, until you see that they're uh, that they're being affected by the same laws that are supposed to protect the the workers.
0: Yeah, Kendra said it's been a mess. I, Kendra, do you live in California? Um, like I said, it takes a couple minutes or seconds for the comments to come through. So Mm -hmm. if she answers, we'll, we'll see it in like a minute. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, well also I used to work as a contractor for an engineering company. So Mm -hmm. I, my degree is in mechanical engineering. And so I worked for a contractor that worked for a large company. Um, and like I was essentially, I was an employee, like there's no reason I should have been a contractor, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: except that they like to do that because, um, right. No healthcare. They keep you under a certain amount of hours and
0: yeah. And also they, and this is like a public perception thing in a downswing, they'll just let all the contractors go and say, we didn't right. let anyone go in the downswing.
1: Right. It's kind of terrible. All the little ways that people invent to protect shareholders and their bottom line yeah, and to avoid the effects of, Law, again, law is meant to protect the workers, they just say, well, we're not actually going to uh, abide by the spirit of the law, we will abide by the letter of the law, and it uh, sucks to be all you guys, it's going to get worse. So I don't know, it's kind of disappointing. Yeah.
0: Um, I worked with also when I worked at anheuser Bush, we worked with a lot of contractors in our construction management um, mm-hmm. division, and that so i I don't really understand the intricacies of the law but like they could only work under direct management of a company for five years before they had to go to a different company as a contractor mm. Mm. and so they would literally just like cycle these guys out every five years
1: <laughs> Ugh, that's so hard
0: yeah that's especially like very you're doing something like that. It's like construction like it really helps to know like this is like a terrible phrase but like where all the bodies are
1: buried you know no it's true it's true and all the ins and outs of the specific my husband works in construction so it's like you really need to know like how certain people build in certain areas or like what was you know what the one guy down at the permit department likes to see on the permit because it's not the law it's just the way they run things it's hard and of course it's really hard for people who are going to be out like they're in their last year and like what they're just they just saved up enough to i don't know start a family buy a house have a kid do whatever take their next steps and then but then they know their jobs out next year so what do mm-hmm. they do no job security It's terrible just yeah. <laughs> said no but i'm a freelancer oh so, all right
0: yeah and i know several other states are looking at similar laws so we might see this kind of like spread across the country yeah um but I know right now, California freelancers are at a disadvantage because a lot of multi-state organizations are just choosing not to hire them to avoid this okay. the situation entirely. So,
1: sad. Yeah. Um, Heather's here. Sorry, I'm late. <laughs> no problem, Heather. Hey. Okay. Um, All right. Well, let me let me move on from that kind of. Depressing. <laughs> I'm I'm always like looking on the on the on the bad side. Sorry. I hope I'm not a depressing guest. But um okay, so private equity firm KKR, the same firm that previously took over Toys R Us, has acquired Overdrive from Rakuten. Overdrive is an app that delivers digital content like ebooks and audiobooks to school and libraries. So I wonder how this is gonna affect everything because I love using it. I love checking out books on my uh, Kindle from the library app that Brooklyn Library has Brooklyn Public Library. It's so convenient and it's, it's so easy, and so I hope that nothing affects my my reading library checkout book habit. Your personal usage. I know my. I mean, obviously, I hope you know. I hope that it is fine in general, and that nothing bad happens <laughs> to anyone else. But it's just, it's so rare that I'm like, please, please just leave me personally alone. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to suffer this one. But
0: I mean, yeah, I get it. Yep. I have overdrive on my phone for audiobooks. Oh, yeah. Because um, I listen to a lot, a lot of audiobooks. I mm-hmm. I may talk about that from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, especially before. So now that I write for Book Riot, publishers, like, send me a lot of audiobooks. But before, it was, like, almost entirely like overdrive. Mm. Um, and so, um, yeah. And also, uh, with all the, you know, the it seems like publishers are kind of like taking issue with libraries and eBooks and Yeah,
1: stuff. that Macmillan thing. I wonder yeah. if that's gonna affect their, I don't know, how like the collision of those two things are, is gonna yeah. change that. So yeah, we'll just wait and
0: kind of see what happens. And um, this is the company that took over Toys R Us, which by the way, like closed <laughs> from <Yeah>. bankruptcy. <laughs> so, yeah. um, Kendra said, I'm so worried about yeah. OverDrive. Ebony said, yeah, I use the Libby app and I love it. Libby is Isn't an overdrive great? app. Yeah. It's so easy and
1: accessible.
0: And then um, we we have a couple different apps that do ebooks and audiobooks at the library that I work at. And um, Overdrive is definitely and Libby the easiest to use. Like RB Digital. I don't know if who owns RB Digital, but that app huh. is a nightmare. Yeah. It's really hard to use. (laughs) I'm like, I work for the library and I can't figure out how to use this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We don't need to make it harder. Things are already hard enough getting people to read. All
0: right. So I think we're ready to bring in our special guest.
1: Yes. Danielle, I love. (laughs) Uh,
0: um, I don't know what that name is, but Overdrive and Libby are my life. I'm also hoping nothing changes negatively. So Yes. Yeah. All right. Same. Same. Though sometimes private equity firms buy out companies and nothing happens. So
1: that's true. No, it's true. <laughs> it's it could be maybe part of a larger strategy. I don't know. Could make it better. I'm not sure. It really yeah. it, it could be a like just an information thing too. Trying to get people's reading habits. It's so that's weird true. what people yeah. are doing with like how they handle information and stuff like mm-hmm. that too. All
0: right, so we're going to bring on Danielle now. Danielle Clayton is a New York Times bestselling author of The Bell Series, the co-author of the Tiny Pretty Things series, and the forthcoming The Rumor Game. She hails from the Washington, D.C. suburbs on the Maryland side. She taught secondary school for several years and is a former elementary and middle school librarian. She is COO of the nonprofit We Need Diverse Books and co-founder of Cake Literary a creative kitchen whipping up decadent and decidedly diverse literary confections for middle grade, young adult and women's fiction readers. She is an avid traveler and always on the hunt for magic and mischief. So please welcome Danielle Clayton. Hi. Yay,
2: I'm Hi. So excited. I'm also in you? Hawaii, so I'm like super close to where Heidi is. I know. I'm very happy. <laughs> I know, if you're
1: just on the other side of those mountains.
2: Yeah. <laughs> We're going to come over those mountains and see you. We're you coming. Like wave no, we're coming. Yeah, yeah, we're coming. <laughs> yes.
0: um, yeah, well, so you're both traveling right now,
1: right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you yes. all for taking time to be on the show while you're traveling. That's Thanks really for great.
2: you asking me to come on. I'm so <laughs> oh, excited. Of course. <laughs> Super excited to be here.
0: Yeah, Danielle is also on my, like, one of the first people I thought of when I started developing the show of people that I wanted on. So, I'm so excited. I feel like I've been so blessed this year. Like everyone that I've really wanted on the show has has agreed and I just I'm overwhelmed.
2: You're (laughs) awesome.
0: (laughs) It's perfect. Heather says hi Danielle. Hi Heather. (laughs) Oh Hawaii sounds nice. Yeah it's nice that it's all like light
1: there and
0: it
2: is,
1: oh, I know. Yeah. Well, you were just saying that you are also in warm weather, so you can't yes. be too <laughs> upset.
2: That backdrop, friends, is a lie. Yeah. Fake, <laughs> fake like, news. Fake news. <laughs>
0: it's like 77 degrees here, so. <laughs> uh, Jessica said, I didn't know Danielle is CEO of We Need Diverse Books. Yep. I am. We're yes, we're going to talk, go about, talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Awesome. I'm so excited. Oh, Heather, this is so nice. Heather said, who wouldn't say yes for you, Sarah? That's exactly. true. Thank you. True. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's see. We're going to jump right into the questions. Um, so you're founder, of, co-founder of Cake Literary. Um, can you tell a little more about what Cake Literary does? Sure. Yeah.
2: It's such a weird process because people don't really talk about this thing called packaging that has been a part of the children's book industry since the beginning of time. So some of our favorite books, like The Babysitter's Club, Gossip Girl, things like that are created by a team of people in a room. And then several writers write under a pen name to make it happen because they get so, people get and teens get so excited about these books and kids and they want so many of them voraciously. (laughs) So my business partner and I, we met when we were in grad school. Sona Tirapatra, and we, she was going to take a job at one of the biggest packagers there is called Alloy Entertainment. And I was working for an agent who worked uh, for and sold books for we should do something like this. I was a librarian at the time working um, in Harlem and trying to get my kids things to read that excited them and that was fun. And there really wasn't a lot of things. And I thought why can't we use the packaging model to one help marginalized content creators, get into publishing and give them their training wheels, push them in, um, crash course, and then also get lots of fun stories on the shelves. So that's how cake literary is born. We believe that making a book is like making a cake. If you had to eat cake in one flavor for your whole life, it would be really boring. So we think that organic diversity, like different flavors of cake, makes the whole experience of reading much better. And so we wanted it to be fun and we want to do a lot of fun books and exciting books that are just about kids who have to save the world or save their family or save their neighborhood, but they happen to come from lots of different backgrounds. And so that's how sort of cake came to be. Nice. In a nutshell, yeah. It's a weird, <laughs> I know it's a weird concept for a lot of people to um, sort of grasp and understand.
1: It's actually yeah. the, first, the first time I ever heard about packaging at all was hearing about cake. Um, and it's such a fascinating idea, like to have a team. I feel like in um, general, in, in, as a novelist it's so um everyone is focused on just the one like the one author the one person and sometimes the relationship between the author and the editor or maybe the author and their critique partner but uh, I find it. I find the idea of coming from the theater background, the idea of having a collaborative process and people to bounce ideas off of. I find that those that's the, those are the ideas that are the best. Is the ideas that are tested by more than one person, mm-hmm. um, and it's just it, obviously I think it comes out in the work that you guys produce. Uh, we just really try quality you're not alone. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah you ha- like,
1: have that. You have to. You know. You have to get it by someone else who's. Uh, who's also really, you know, like Sona's very, uh, very
2: uh, smart. Yes. So she, so you can't really <laughs>
1: toss anything by her and she can't toss anything <laughs> by you. So
2: Yeah, um, yes, absolutely. She's very discriminating. Yes. So speaking of,
1: um, well, speaking of diversity, uh, you're the chief operating officer of the wonderful nonprofit that uh, is called We Need Diverse Books. Can you explain a bit about
2: what you do there and your role as COO? Yes, I uh, work with the awesome Ellen O in managing and watching and fundraising for our various programs because we believe that every kid deserves to be the hero of a story and to be able to walk into their classroom or their library or the bookstore and find stories that reflect um, their experience where they are the heroes of a story. And so we manage all of these different programs that try to get at this issue of why there is a lack of diverse representation at every level in publishing. And so we designed all these different programs to try to get at changing those numbers and making sure that we're telling the truth about what the children in America look like um, and what kind of stories they deserve to see. And also making sure that publishing can provide Um, that need. And so I do a lot of things. It's from signing check requests (laughs) to designing programs to giving speeches to working with Ellen thinking about our one-year, three-year, five-year plan to working with all of the various heads of all of our different programs to strategize. Is this thing working? What do we need to adjust now that publishing is starting to listen a bit? How can we go to the next level? Can we get from diversity 101 to diversity two oh one, like how do we make that that next step? Um, so I do a lot of different things with the organization.
0: Yeah, and, it's and been you a lot of fun. You're very public facing too. Like you get contacted a lot for like interviews, requests, and that kind of thing, right?
2: Yes, I get the interview requests, and I also get the hate mail. So oh. it comes, it comes with the territory. Um, but how dare they, for starters? But also,
1: how foolish. I know. <laughs> it's like. I can't I can't imagine being silly enough to
2: try to tangle with you, Danielle. Right. I know. <laughs> they try. They do try. And I and I laugh and I save them. And I'm just like, oh, you're so, you're so mad. You're very mad that we want to make sure that- It feeds you. Right. It feeds my, my petty bones and it feeds <laughs> all of the work that I do. And it just makes me know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, which is making sure that every kid deserves to- be able to see themselves as an awesome hero and doing their own thing and that we hold people accountable and we tell them the truth, we tell the truth. Because what everyone wants is for us to be quiet. And so, and we won't be quiet. And so that's that's the problem, I think. People love to tell women especially, especially women of color to be quiet. And so LNO is never gonna be quiet and neither am I. Um, and I just think that it's, you know, I do give a lot of speeches and hopefully we'll be moving forward past the speeches and. In- Born to sort of like have all of these sort of even more tough talks um, so that they can translate into action. Yeah, Watching seen you the talk RWA before. stuff, I'm like, it's time to have some talks.
0: Yeah, I've seen you talk before about um, everyone, whenever you're interviewed about We Need Diverse Books, always everyone always asks the same questions and you're answering the same questions over and over again, yes. um,
1: yeah, so. Yes. So what is that? Can I have permission? To write a huh? character.
2: <laughs> 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 How, dare <laughs> How dare you get me? Yes, that question all the time. Yeah. Like, is it okay if I write? And I'm like, I'm not here till to... I
1: know someone right who <laughs>
2: my neighbor is. <laughs> and from... I know
1: her first name, not her last, but her first right, name. Right.
2: She is from Uh, the African-American community. She is an (laughs) African-American. And can I write her story? (laughs) No, (laughs) ma'am. So I get the same questions over and over again. And, you know, what what happens is people don't like the answer. Yeah. So it's, it's very frustrating.
0: I had one particular person who I was talking about certain words that I don't like being used casually, um, crazy. And uh she messaged me and she's like, well I have this in my bio. Can I use this like this? I was like, no, like that's exactly what I was talking about. And then she came back with, well, um Urban Dictionary said I can use it like
2: this. So why are you wasting my time and asking (laughs) me a question like that? (laughs) And And then (laughs) like I just don't get it.
0: Yeah. And then she tried to like report me to um the um the at that time managing director of Pitch Wars um,
2: wow yeah I was like everybody loves to call someone's manager yeah <laughs> and it's like ma'am it doesn't matter you asked me a question you asked yeah. me a question but and I also answered the it.
1: dictionary defense is like the worst defense and and then to use the urban dictionary yep. defense is like a <laughs> step below like it's the like using worst Wikipedia. I can't imagine yeah. Urban
2: Dictionary, right? In Wikipedia, it said, "Um, "Okay, because
0: everyone knows like Urban Dictionary is like super, you know, sensitive and oh yeah, um, yeah, and
1: accurate too, (laughs) and (laughs) should be the final word on what we should all be saying."
2: (laughs) Yeah, I just don't have. I just really don't have time for it. And the problem is that when you when you answer directly and clearly, no matter how nice you are, because you've said no people get mad. It's as if you left a a pile of dog poo on their doorstep. They behave (laughs) as if being told no is like being given a pile of dog poo. And it's (laughs) like, no, it's welcome to the land of nope. This happened to me at an SCBWI conference where a woman (laughs) literally asked me after I gave a speech, um, is there room for white children in publishing anymore, in books? And I just was like, first of all, my soul left my body in that moment, okay? (laughs) They could, it just came through the top right here, number one. Number two, I was like, we just went through the stats. We went through the stats. You saw all of those mirrors. You saw it visually represented. You saw a table. And yet you still ask me this question. And it's like, what do you want me to say? Do you want me to be mean to you? What is it? And I- Just say,
0: no. no one's right. The funny thing
1: is, isn't it like 30% of characters are white kids, but like 60% are animals? And they're never coming after the animals.
2: No. <laughs> they're never like, Rover. Exactly. Why aren't you yelling at the truck? In a book. those trucks. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I just don't um, understand the person that asks questions like that. I, I just wonder, I'm like, who raised you? Who's your mother that allowed you to ask questions with such, like, it's so the audacity. I'm like, whoa what? And I just have to control my face and say, okay, there are a hundred people watching you right now. So (laughs) make sure that you smile because it doesn't matter what you say, you're going to be that mean black lady who says no. And I just said, welcome to the land of nope. The weather (laughs) is bad here. Right. And I've (laughs) lived here for a long time. So welcome to the family. No, like this is absurd to me. So it's just one of those things where we just have to be resilient and can keep put our line in the sand and say, no, this is what it is. We're no longer lying. We're no longer going to cater to, in romance land, they're saying the NWLs, which I, I just love that term. I've never heard that term. The nice white ladies, <laughs> NWLs. Oh, hey. I was like,
1: that could go wrong fast. I'm glad Right, right.
2: yes. And I was like, oh, that's the perfect term. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not catering to you anymore. I'm going to be just as nice, but I'm also still going to tell you no. And I'm still going well, to tell you the that, truth, was, that yeah. this is a problem.
0: That was part of, like, the initial defense is, like, the the person that um, that kind of, like, started all of this is, oh, well, she can't be racist because she's so nice and she she sold a lot of books.
2: <laughs> I just, I just, <sighs> I was like. Oh, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> so, just, like, just so you know, if you sell a lot of books, you can't be racist. So. Right.
2: Yeah. I got to work on that. Me too. I'll, I'll, let's, let's wait. Let's see what happens. How many books does it take? How many books? It's like, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Pop? How many books does it take for you to not be a bigot and a racist and have clan wardrobe, a clan outfit in your wardrobe? Like, how many does it take? What's the threshold? So we'll wait. We'll wait for that. We yeah. Can, yeah. It'll be interesting. People are so foolish. I, it's one of those things where it's like we want to not have true conversations. And that's the mm-hmm. first step is like, let's just take an accounting of the numbers, let's look at the numbers, and then let's have a conversation and let's put our fragility away and say like, this is what it is. And um, let's let's get down to business, because when we have this conversation um, about, you know, the fact that men talk more than women in meetings and in events and men do X, Y and Z. Everyone is ready to have, all the women are ready to have that conversation. Yeah, those men, they talk so much, they take up so much space. What about when you take up too much space? How come we can't have that conversation? How come you want to crumple then? How come the fragility shows itself when it's time for us to have this conversation in our space? Now, all of a sudden it's a problem. Hmm. And so I just, with We Need Diverse Books and with all of the work that I do, I want to have real conversations. And say, hey, this is not an attack. This is not pointing fingers. It's about taking an accounting of the system and um, seeing how we can fix it. And that means that some of us have to be quiet. And that's okay. You will not die because you have to be (laughs) quiet in this conversation. You can listen and we can sort of talk about how you can help and how we can work together and move forward to make sure that every child gets the things that they deserve and the things that they need. Yeah. I try to say it nicely, yeah. but it doesn't really matter. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I found
0: i um I did want to say something I forgot to say something earlier if you're watching on Twitter, you have to click through to youtube to um to see the comments and participate in the comments uh, conversation and stuff. so if you're watching on Twitter because I just I just saw my like Twitter notifications I have a couple comments there. um so yeah, make sure you click on through to YouTube because that's where the um the conversation is where I can see it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, Heather says Heather is giving you applause. Yes, yeah, <laughs> Yes. Ebony says yes. Can we have a real conversation about it, please?
2: It's time. It's time for real yeah. talk. And in and and in 2020, there's no more placating of the feelings. There's no more of us like skirting around this conversation. No, we have to say say it, speak plainly, and everyone can put their your feelings are your responsibility. So yeah. it's time for you. Take responsibility for your feelings, but we're still going to have a, a frank conversation about about these topics.
1: Now, speaking yeah. of having real conversations, I know you've been doing this for a really long time. I, I, um, I, I mean, it's been like five years. Five years. Yeah. Five years.
2: And like you, you mentioned eighty-four years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned um, that you feel like publishing companies are starting to respond and listen for once, and it does seem like the numbers are changing, but very, very slightly, very slowly. I mean they may be changing more in the fact that like certain books by maybe authors of color are given that push a little bit more than they used to be—not more than white authors, but more than used to be true of, of authors of color in general. And I was just wondering how you find the conversation changing as you switch from Diversity 101 to Diversity 201, what do you feel like the questions are that we should be you know, asking ourselves, questions that we should be asking of other people, ways that we can jump in and, and, and kickstart the conversation and bring it up a notch? I have a lot of thoughts. I'm yeah, I wanna hear them.
2: Um, I think for Diversity 201, It's time for us to talk about, I'm so excited that so many authors are getting that push. It's time for lots of different books to have an opportunity in the marketplace, right? Um, Now we need to talk about what kinds of books get that opportunity because it's still an anointing process, right? It's still certain horses are bet on. And so I will speak about my community specifically in the African-American community there are books about black children and black teens and black people. We still love certain narratives. There's certain narratives that we just, that are always a bet on, right? The rags mm-hmm. to riches, the impoverished kid, go, you know, is plunked out, or we've got sort of police brutality, we've got um, slavery, we've got all of these kinds of, you know, Black person has to deal and help the white person with their racism, aka Green Book, type of stories that the establishment loves to push forward. And mm-hmm. so for Diversity 201, I want us to take a look at that. I want us to take a look at what kinds of horses we bet on when the horse is allowed to be in the race. Why Mm. does it always have to be those kinds of stories? Why can't it be a love story? Why can't it be something that is not associated with the pain in someone's background? Mm. Why do we exploit the same and press the same bruises? Why Mm. does everything that I engage with that is from my community that gets the push and gets the boom out, why does it have to be about brutalizing black bodies or terrorizing them with the sins of the past or with police or, you know, and these stories need to be told, but I'm, I'm looking for a balance and Mm -hmm. I'm looking for a more variety of stories, but I Mm -hmm. see that it's easy for us to create those shortcuts. um, And it's easy for the establishment to create those shortcuts for universal understanding, creating something like the green book or a story like the green book is easier and more palpable to the masses, I guess, to the mainstream. But mm-hmm. then I'm like why do I have to have that story over and over again? Why is it that story? Mm-hmm. Where are my love stories? Where are my stories for outer space? Where are my stories that are just about a kid who has to deal with being upset or anger or losing a friend who happens mm-hmm. to to be to be black and has all of those things that come with it but it's just about that thing. So that's mm-hmm. the 201 conversation that I would like I would like to have. Now that we are bringing people forward, let's talk about what stories we continue to trot out that still continue to make the mainstream happy.
1: Mm. And how do you, uh, so? As a follow up question, may I? I'm sorry, I'm like I'm like You're I'm gone. so excited to have you like here to talk about this <laughs> specifically instead of just be like, let's just talk about fun stuff. Um, but, <laughs> but I mean, not that this isn't fun, but it's you know, it's, it's also we're, having a lot. A,
2: we're having we're getting in there.
1: <laughs> but so who, where do you think that responsibility lies? And how does that responsibility change depending on who it, like it can't just sit with the writer, you know, it can't just sit with the editor or the agent or the other gatekeepers and it can't, I feel like so much of that responsibility is in the consumer, yes. but maybe I'm wrong. I, I, feel I, think- like, I feel like I try to always tell people like, be, because I like speaking for myself, right? I love stories about crazy people cause I'm crazy. Sorry sorry I know the word but but as a yeah. as a person who is mentally ill myself I like stories about mentally ill people and there's something about the groove of I mean movies like the Joker where there's something it's like eating uh it's like eating a freaking deep fried pork hash it's so satisfying, and it's so bad for me. And like, I just don't know, how do you, you know, I know I shouldn't be consuming stuff like this, but there's something about it that is also still appealing to me. And it's just because I'm in that, I have that mental groove and I sit there so easily because of that, what I've learned.
2: I mean, we should consume those stories. It's about what if every book about someone like you was the Joker? What if there were yeah. a thousand of those books and there was never a love story? And yeah. there was never, uh, never a story of you going and saving the world, or a story of you going to outer space, or a story of you just having to deal with the bullshit of high school. Right? What if it right. was always just the Joker? What if? But how do we that-
1: push that? That how do we deepen that? That other groove that that or that the the rest of the landscape? Do we have to sort of remove the story? Like I think you know it's about saying? I think
2: it's about pressing gatekeepers and and editors and all of the powers that be to talk about variety. And saying, mm-hmm. if you, when you are purchasing books, if you are always purchasing books about pain that come from a certain community, because mm-hmm. that is your bias, that is something that speaks to you. If you are always buying some iteration of The Help or To Kill a Mockingbird over and over and over again, you are part of a system that is propagating the same dangerous single story about a group of people. And it's Mm -hmm. not on the writer. So I might wanna write that book over and over again because it's something that bothers me, yes. But it's about variety across the board. And I talk about this a lot when I go speak to librarians and teachers about building classroom libraries responsibly and looking Mm -hmm. for balance. And I have a balance checklist. It's like if all of your stories about native and indigenous people are set in the past, that is a problem. If If you are a person who buys picture books as an editor and every time you buy something that has native content and written by an outsider, check your. you have to check mm-hmm. your bias. And that publishing house also has to check for balance and think about, whoa, we put out over the last five years 15 books about black people and all of them have to do with police brutality and overcoming adversity and racism, every single one. And it's sort of like mm-hmm. thinking about how can we have a variety and and usher in a variety of different kinds of stories. I think writers can write whatever they want. And if those are the things that bother you and you want to write them over and over again, that's true. But the marketplace I think has a responsibility to have a variety of stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I find the problem is that every single sort of story that deals with me when I create my book list, I'm like, whoa, we, we keep hitting on a lot of the same topics here all the time. And I'm like, great, we have to still talk about these issues societally, societally but I'm just looking for variety in the next yeah. 10 years. I'm looking for a variety of stories. And this really comes from, I have a 14 year old niece or she's about to be 14. And she made a comment to me like a month ago. She was like, oh, all the books that, all the books and all of the stories that feature girls that look like me are sad. I just want to fall in love. Like, where are those? And then we watched all of the adaptations and she was like, gosh, there are no black girls in any of these, in any of these adaptations. Or if there is one, she's a demon in Sabrina and her hair looks bad. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is like, yeah. we are failing a group, you know, lots of different kinds types of, types of kids. She deserves to see a love story where it's just a girl who looks like her. We look just alike. That just falls in love and the biggest drama she has is whether or not to choose one person or the other or that her mom's gonna be mad or that like she feels like she can't, you know, figure things out. Where's that story? We're not pushing those narratives forward. We're not giving opportunities for those books to be trotted forward because it's easier to sell the book that is, redoing To Kill a Mockingbird or about slavery and civil rights because it's a story we know. It's familiar. It's an easy bet. It's like, why do we always keep creating franchise material in Hollywood? Because they know it's a sure bet for sales. Oh, they're going to go see the Marvel movie. Absolutely. They're going to go see this IP. It's an easy, sure bet to create shortcuts about people. Each community has a shortcut that is easily digestible to outsiders. Mm. And we continue to put that easily digestible shortcut to the front of the line and let that be the single story. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I think I'm just tired of it. And that's the 201 conversation. That's the hard conversation to have. Nobody wants to hear that. Yeah. Because it's hard. It's like, oh, well, we've given you, we've let you do these things. We've put these books forward. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yes, but let's talk about what else we have. Like I'm excited to look for what sort of black queer love stories or queer stories with POC love interests Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for that, right? The in at the intersections, mm-hmm. like I'm waiting for that sort of next step. What does it mean to be mentally ill and a person of color? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of these intersections that we find, it's it's still just the white kid dealing with the in, with the thing, and it's like, well, all of these things look different when they are in different communities.
0: Yeah, and you also see like pushback whenever someone has. A character who's a person of color and also has mental illness and is also queer, they'll say, Um, oh, that's too much, you're ticking too many boxes, you know.
2: Right, and uh, you're like, Really? Okay, so this is my life. Okay, yeah. wait, those wait. people
0: exist, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, like, oh,
2: it's too much. Oh. Okay, I didn't know that my whole life is too much, yeah. and that people like me didn't exist. Yeah. So I, I I just think that when you go to schools and you're with teens. They live. They live on multiple axes like that, mm-hmm. at multiple intersections, and they deserve better. Yeah, than to be boiled down to that one. That one story. Yeah, that um, was my rant.
1: No, it's no, good. Okay. It actually leads to though. I mean, because you have stories like that, and. Some
2: of them are being adapted. Yes. is a
1: good, a good, a good yes. segue, right? I think it's yes. what we can do. Perfect. We can celebrate, right?
0: Yeah, so um, you recently had a chance to visit the set of Tiny Pretty Things, the Netflix adaptation of your book.
2: Um, what was that like? It was so weird, and so <laughs> I'm so excited to see Tiny Pretty Things hit Netflix next fall. Um, it's weird because it feels like you're in a a big dollhouse of your own creation. You're walking through these different sets that are literally from your book, which is from your brain. And so it's just this really surreal um, experience. And then also you've noticed that people have broken your toys and reassembled them in very interesting ways. When Ah. something is adapted, it's translated right Mm -hmm. to a different medium. So Mm -hmm. it's not quite the same shoe that you created. And it's great because usually hopefully it's better. That's like what you always want. Um, so it was really awesome to see what what they've done. And I'm really happy with a lot of the changes that they've made to the source material and the way they've pushed it. That's so cool. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what everyone thinks of all the drama. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, no, but um, I, I remember reading Tiny Pretty Things, you know, now years ago. I and know, just being like, so old. Ballet, ballet dancers of color. And like, yes. I cannot wait for creepy, broken toy, you know, black swan, ballet dancers yep. of color on screen. It's going to be yes. so thrilling.
2: And I'm excited because some of the things that we did in the book, some of the things that are stereotypically attached to uh, the women of ballet, have now been given to other characters, have been given Mm. to the men (laughs) um, to sort of address how they're left out of that conversation. And also this is something that consumes the ballet world in general.
1: Is the dancing also great?
2: Yes, they only only hire dancers.
1: I feel like I was like waiting for cats and then I was like, I can't watch cats. (sighs) I know. But I can instead watch, get ready
2: for Tiny Pretty Things. So I'm like, I'm yes. glad that I can occupy. <laughs> they only <laughs> hired actors that were dancers and classically trained in ballet. Oh, wow. ah! So the dancing is extraordinary, which is great because what I didn't want was some sort of terrible cheesy ballet where I was cringing the entire time because this is about, they're artists, but they're also athletes. And so I'm excited to see them sort of do their thing. And it was really awesome and overwhelming and exhausting. Uh, to be on set. um, But also like, what is happening? What is life? (laughs) This is so weird. So I'm super excited for everyone to get a taste of the drama. And just to see how they, you know, to see actually how people translate work in lots of different ways. And when does that come out? Uh, Next fall. Okay. Nice. I'm excited.
1: I'm so yeah. Like I'm sorry. I'm just
2: like, oh, all right. Yeah, I can wait. I can wait. I'll be fine. Time will fly. All right. We'll, yeah. we'll do some <laughs> parties in New York. We'll do a watch party. We'll do yes! oh. oh. I'm so That's sad. So, sad.
1: <laughs> so far away. Yes. Um. Yeah. All right. Uh so okay. So let me ask you, do we have tons of time left? I wanna probably ask you-
0: just yeah, one more question then that one more question from each of us.
1: Okay, so I wanted to ask um, about because this is heavily on my mind right now is deadlines. You are so busy. You have so many things on your plate. You are, you know, you're you're an activist, you're an artist, you're you got Netflix, you got all this other stuff. How do you juggle all your deadlines and keep everything and still manage to have a vacation?
2: Oh, vacation is a word that is used lightly because I'm still working while I'm here. I just changed location. Um, oh. So yes, I have a lot of deadlines, and it is always ridiculously chaotic. Um, but I live and die by my planner, and I—I I was a teacher for many years, so I had to manage lots of little people, um, and that is very difficult. Heidi, you've got two little ones, so you know, like they got to do this, they got to do this. We have to make sure they're not still alive, make sure they get to the a, point A to point Z. And I think that that's how I function, my books are my little people. And so mm-hmm. I just manage them in the same way that I was managing my students, where I was tracking them and I was like, you know, doing check-ins and watching the board. And I just create a really precise um, plan um, for every week, for every day, every week and every month and every three months and every six months. I don't always manage to hit all of my goals and deadlines, but I try to sort of, that's how I I treat it, treat um, all of my deadlines like that. Um, And so this year has been a little bit ridiculous because I had to play catch up. I had some surgeries in 2018 that threw me behind on a lot of things. And so I have been playing catch up this year and had to turn in a lot of things and get myself out of a little bit of a hole. Um, But the reason why I like to plan these vacations or staycations where I go and I stay in a place is because now I can have my work with me but I'm in a very relaxed state because now I have rewards. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm in Hawaii, so I can work for a little bit, but then I can go beach for five or six hours and then go back to my computer. And like I can really segment my time and recharge my well. Um, and so I try to purposefully do a lot of that so that I can be at my peak performance of sort of creating. But it's chaos over here. Always. All right. <laughs>
1: Good. I, I feel a little better about that.
2: <laughs> I'm a mess. I'm, I'm a constant mess. i falling off well. of my bus. I do, but it is a lot of, you know, eating cookies and drinking soda and getting a pimple and like yelling and screaming and pacing and like then having to take a bath and stress out and listening to audiobooks and get myself together and then gorging on food. Like it's it's a lot of that. I just don't put Excellent. that on Instagram.
0: I'm so glad to hear that you handle stress similarly
1: <laughs> to me. <laughs> But,
2: I know, I
1: feel like everyone's a little bit like,
2: oh, all right. I'm good then. Cookies. Yeah, cookies, <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm going to go eat this big meal, and then my stomach's all a mess, and then I'm like, oh, and then, you know, it's just all of the, yeah, all of the things. I just oh. hate
0: it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, last question is the question I ask all the guests on this show.
2: Ooh, um, this is a very mean right. question. <laughs> I gave you a heads up. I did, um, I prepared.
0: Ebony, everyone always makes this face, don't they? Like she commented on it last time when Michael was like, oh, um, yeah, so what's the most important book you've ever read?
2: Well, because I'm a librarian and I'm a rule breaker, I'm gonna give you three because there are three <laughs> different categories and you cannot just boil it down to the most important book, one book, okay? <laughs> so for me, the most important adult book for myself was Nella Larson's Passing. It's such a wonderful book. It's very short and it's about two women who are best friends and they can pass for white. One passes for white when she just wants special opportunities in the 1920s. Another one decides to leave the community and pass forever. And they run into each other as adults. And it's about sort of them facing their friendship and sort of the risks of doing that. Brilliant. I think it's the book that made me wanna write something. Um, The children's book that I think is most important Even though, unfortunately, we're going to have to separate the book from its artist because she has, who, we can't even get into that. Um, Miss J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series, she she will be, she who should not be named um, (laughs) now has replaced Voldemort. But Harry Potter, for me, is a book that taught me that some children want to be able to leave their own world and be immersed in another and there's something beautiful about that. They are looking for doors and windows into other places that are so much more interesting than the place that they're in. And I think that Harry Potter, the Harry Potter world um, has done that and changed generations of readers, um, dis- despite all of its issues. And then YA, last one, since I'm such a rule breaker. Uh, one of the most important YAs, I think, right now, because I think YA is a genre that should this book should be rotating and changing. Every couple of years, is from my nemesis, um, Jason Reynolds. It's called Long Way Down, um, and it follows a boy who has to make a decision about whether or not he's going to do a thing in the time it takes for him to get on the elevator and get to the first floor to leave to go do the thing. Um, and it's just a beautiful book that I think poses a a deep moral question for teens: what to do about anger, and what happens when you feel like you've been wronged and you're sort of boxed in a corner. Like, what are you what are you going to do about it? Um, and that that book, I think, poses such a good question that gets teens thinking, and that I think is the purpose for for YA to get them thinking, to get them sort of wrestling with a lot of the bullshit that That's they have nice. to deal with in adolescence. So I broke your rules because most important book ever is too hard and it should be by category. yeah, <laughs> uh, Clayton, rule breaker. Yeah. yeah. Double actually
0: maker. the the first person to break the rules which is yeah. surprising to me
2: <laughs> wow but. i'm not afraid to <laughs> usurp <laughs> can i ask
0: um why you call jason your your nemesis i've seen you say that before
2: <laughs> because he he trolls me we are very good friends <laughs> yeah i mean and i She's love also telling you he's really
1: it to- tall and she is very little next to him she yeah, looks very tiny yeah tiny, yes. tiny pretty he- thing
2: yeah, and he trolled me, and so the first time like we had an interaction, he was talking about buying a couch, and I teased him, and I said, oh, you should get, like, a white pleather couch, and he was like, oh, like, your face? And I was like, okay. So that was our first interaction ever, and after that, it was on, right? So now you see! Everyone's like, oh, we love him. He's so great. Oh, my God. Great, right? So,
0: <laughs> yeah, I met him once he came down for, um, well, he came down for a library thing actually, but um, Lisa Lucas was also here and did a talk and, and yeah. And he came to it and I get to meet him and yeah, he was super nice. He hugged me. I was just like, you know. Don't
2: be fooled. Don't, a be <laughs> Don't be impressed. Don't be fooled. No, but like, I love telling students oh. that because they all read him. And I'm like, oh, my nemesis. you yeah. are like, oh my God. <laughs> and so like, he's, you know, he's great. He's awesome. He's one of my best friends, but I yeah. have to troll him a little bit just because he's too good. So I have to knock him down a peg and make sure he knows. Like he might be, tall, he might be tall and talented, but like I'm awesome too. So he's just my nemesis, yeah.
0: Yeah, even I look tiny next to him. I'm not a, I'm not a small person, I'm a tall person.
2: And uh, yeah, it's not fair. Yeah. These things aren't <laughs> fair. So, all right. but yeah.
0: Well, Danielle, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank uh, you for having me, I was so right. I had so much fun. Yeah, we had a great time. And like, we just, we totally threw our script out the window because we were just Sorry. having a great conversation. No, it's totally I fine. I just
1: was so excited to talk to you. Totally fine. Do oh, not yeah. worry did about I, it. Did all.
2: you derail everything? Was there supposed <laughs> no, to be like I just other
1: things? Ask you questions based on what you had said instead of based it's not on the comments you asked? Oh, shoot.
0: I No, it's totally fine. Don't worry about it at all. Trust me. Um, I do say, like, when in the, when I send the show notes, I tell the guest co host I was like, I want you to act like this is your show. Like, you should feel free to and like I direct did. it. And you did, so that's great. <laughs> okay. <good. And> Heidi
2: <laughs> and I are troublemakers and we're friends. And so yes. Yes. we yes. just do what we wanna do and we cut up and we're trouble, so. Um,
0: no, it's fine. So Daniel, can you just tell us um, what you have coming out next and yeah, where sure. we can find
2: um, you? Awesome, so you can find me on all of the platforms at Brown Bookworm. Um, and I have a book coming out with my co-writer, Sona Chirapatra called The Rumor Game, and it follows the destructive path of a rumor, the girl who starts it, the girl who the rumor is about, and the girl who is collateral damage. And it really examines sort of, when you grow up in a political fishbowl, like I did in the Washington DC area, how the mm-hmm. things you say about people can really travel, um, and what can happen um, in the age of social media and the swarm. So mm-hmm. so yeah, that's coming, and I'm very, very, very excited. And then, I'll be, and then the, also the Netflix show um, is coming in the fall. So super excited. Cool about these fun things
0: yeah and you can find her website and her links down in the description below as well so
2: they're already there um, and thanks so much this was like the you. best thing i've done <laughs> this was such a great thing to go out on at you know the end of the year like yeah. on a high like i'm like Yay. oh i feel yeah. like refreshed like okay publishing uh, is, is good
1: you like, sure it wasn't the
2: pool just like being in the water that was refreshing. i mean that too but like, <laughs> i'm sure that can, helps this this was such a great fun um conversation and um yeah i just feel you know blessed to be able to to be on here and thank you for choosing me
0: oh thanks so much for coming so if you want to hang around and talk with heidi and i after you can do that but if you need to go feel free to go
2: okay cool yeah all right talk soon bye bye
1: all right that was fun that was great. Again. I love yeah. Danielle. I love you. You were so much fun. This is a this <laughs> is a great show. And all the listeners, thank you so much for your comments and your uh, participation. Yeah, it's so fun to do something live and like have people like weighing in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is time for
0: audiobook of the week. Um, almost everyone knows I love audiobooks, so I decided to add this segment. Because I love audiobooks and I want to talk about them. Um, however, I was uh, uh, a judge for the Audis, and so I just spent like the last two months just listening to those books, which I'm not allowed to talk about. Oh, um, and so I had to go back a little bit to pull this this audiobook a week. This is one I actually listened to a little while ago, mm. and yeah, it's Tess of the Road by Rachel Hartman, who coincidentally is actually going to be the guest on the next episode, so she'll she'll oh. be here. January 11th, yeah. Awesome. Um,
1: ask her how she did such a masterpiece. <laughs> it so, is. Ask her yeah. For me. <laughs> um, so uh,
0: it's a companion novel to Serafina, which was her first book. Well, at least the first book that I, don't, I know of. I actually don't know if it was her first book. Um, but uh, it features Tess, um, and it's a character driven fantasy novel with a quote unlikable heroine and a rather kind of slow plot. And I loved absolutely every second of it because I just I mean, it's it's masterfully done. It's it's really good when I after I finished reading it, I was just I kind of had to sit with myself for a while, you know, (laughs) so um, I love that book. So if you haven't listened to it and the narration is great as well. So the audio book narrators is really great. Um, I can't remember who it is right now, but um, I do remember it being awesome. So yeah, go check that out. And um, of course
1: Heidi's books are great on audio as well. Oh yeah, no, the um, Emily Woozeller did a great job. I think mean, yeah, she she's won audio last year for for Music Fire. Yeah. yeah. She was great. I mean she I mean she's she is great. She is great, um, yeah. And she will hopefully do the next one also. So yeah, yeah
0: she's one of my favorites. Um, let's see. <laughs> Jessica said, "Love from Chicago, where it's not seventy degrees plus." <laughs> oh,
1: sorry, sending some warm tropical breezes your
0: oh, way. Oh. Ebony said she just borrowed um, "Test of the Road" on Libby.
1: Ooh, Comes good back way.
0: full circle. Yeah, yeah, so cool. Um, and then Heather said she'll check out "Test of the Road" earlier when we were talking about "Long Way Down." a couple of people commented that they had listened to it and Jason narrates it?
1: Yeah. Wow, I need to listen to that then. Yeah, it's a great book. I've only read it, but um, it's just great. I can't imagine how the poetry uh, is expressed verbally by the author himself, which just must be amazing. Definitely. All
0: right, so it's time to discuss our viewer poll. Do you belong to a writer's organization or group? Um, And I'm going to pull up the results. We'll see. I haven't looked at them. So... (laughs) Let's see what this looks like. Um, let's see, 53, 54% said no, they don't belong to any. Um, 12% say they belong to a local one. 18% say they belong to a national one. And 16.4% say they belong to both a local and a national group. Um, so that's surprising that so many people don't belong to one
1: yeah. at all.
0: That surprised me yeah. anyway.
1: Huh, I don't, do you belong to one?
0: um yeah so let's see or more actually well i was gonna say um i was a member of scwi until very recently in my membership lapsed, and i didn't renew it but i probably will renew it Uh um the florida chapter is pretty active and there's there's a group in celebration which is like um the town that Disney built.
1: Yeah, I heard about that. Place. Yeah. My, yeah, my whole family or my husband's whole family loves Disney and they always are like, Maybe we should go there <laughs> one day. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. And so there's a really nice group that meets in celebration, too. So um, and then but I have like there's like a local community here. Well, like my job is I play in author and writing events for a living. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Right. Um, and so I have a lot of that around me. It's more like informal communities rather than like an organization, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. I think there's something about the formality of a group that is, I think, so, I don't know, for me, it's hard to, you know, it's like you gotta sign up and pay your dues and do, <laughs> you know, then you have to attend meetings and wow, that's asking a lot. <laughs> At least for me, <laughs> I like, think it's like, that's, a, I don't know, i got other stuff to do. But I think that a lot of, probably a lot of writers are, it's like this weird thing, right? On the, the riding the line of being um, an introvert with your art, and, mm-hmm. but then also being lonely with your art and wanting to seek out other other artists in the same vein. Yeah. So that's probably a lot of that goes into the decision. Yeah, I'm an extrovert, so I don't same. <laughs> Say whatever but the, I want. <laughs> things are it's so hard because a lot of writers aren't, or by the time you mm-hmm. get to, talk to them, they're all like, "It's it's too much." Yeah, I always
0: joke that, like, I have to have a lot of friends, because being first an engineer, second a writer, and third a person who works a library, literally everyone I know is an introvert, and they, they all can only hang out, like, once every, like, three weeks, and so right. I have to have a yeah, lot of friends I so I can, like, fill my schedule, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Ebony said I would love to, but I just don't have the time, I'm working not on that in 2020, though. Yeah. Um, And I do run, I run this Facebook page called Orlando Literati, which basically just promotes like all the Orlando area writing events. Um, And one of my goals, hopefully I'll be able to make it happen this year is to do some kind of like social only meeting. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't know about New York, but um, in Orlando, the writing community is really siloed. So there's like the literary fiction people are like here Mm -hmm. and, and then the, the like, why children's you know communities here and the romance communities here and mm-hmm. you know science fiction fitness, and they don't really cross over at all mm-hmm. um and that's one of the things that i've been trying to do is kind of connect them a little
1: bit i it guess could. yeah no i think that's a smart idea i don't know i think it's hard for me because i don't actually get as much as i love being out i don't get out a lot because of the kids so yeah. i think but i whenever i go i see you know i mean there are people that the YA authors that do a lot of crossover and, you know, everyone has their set, you know, they do YA, but they have a middle grade coming out or they have an adult coming out. And so there's some cross-pollination there, Um, you know, and you'll see people at everyone else's events. So I think there's a little bit more, um, you know, cross, like I said, cross-pollination. So,
0: yeah, I also feel like, well, just by the nature of New York, you have more people in general. And so yeah. in Orlando, we don't have that many. So there's no, really no reason for it to be so segregated like that, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, we, we have a lively community here, but not not to the scale of New York yeah. City. Okay.
1: I mean, you know, it's hard. I mean, but I'm sure it's like, but and sometimes it's better when you know people a little more personally and, you know, it can get a little more, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, you can have those like deeper connections because... It's not everyone and their dog that you have to remember all their names and be like oh, I forgot who that face is. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's
0: see what what are people saying in the comments. Um,
1: Heather <laughs> says INFP. Oh no, introvert. It's okay. It's okay yeah. cuz you know you know your characters well and that's all you really need. <laughs> and then you make them do what you that you want them to do and then they don't really I mean hopefully they don't sass you too badly. <laughs> You
0: can step away. Um, I'm a very new writer, so I haven't joined any groups yet, but I will. So far, I just have very great critique partners. Well, that's a
1: great start. Yeah, that's what you. That's the real, that's the money there.
0: That's
1: what you need. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so we're going to finish off
0: with the uh, quote of the week, which is another thing that I just do because I like to. I love it. Um, but so it's funny because I actually chose this one um in October so in October I just put like a whole bunch of quotes in a in a list Mm -hmm. um and then it just turns out that it's really great for the conversation that we had today and also the guests that we have today so um if there's a book that you want to read but it hasn't been written yet then you must write it Toni Morrison true and I feel like um both you and Danielle are really doing that so Uh
1: um <laughs> yeah. Thank you. no, it's fun. it's uh, but it's true. it's like it's it's what propelled me to write and I know but the other thing too that I find interesting is I, I wonder if the book is out there somewhere, but it wasn't never given the um, push that I needed to find it. Yeah or other people possible it, so, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, well, thank you, Heidi so much for um, hanging out with me today and having this conversation with me. Thank you for having well, me. I had such a great time and I always love talking with you. So Yeah. Um and let me know or let everyone watching know like what you have coming up, what's going on. Oh, I
1: have to finish my next book. <laughs> I have, so I have, I have The Girl From Everywhere is my first novel and it mm-hmm. was a duology. So The Girl From Everywhere and The Ship Beyond Time about time traveling pirates. And the second series is about a shadow puppeteer necromancer who's also mentally ill like I am. And um, the third book in the series is coming out next mm-hmm. fall, late next fall, because it's not handed in yet. Um, but yeah, and then, then I'll, that series will be complete and hopefully I'll be free to
2: run <laughs> off
1: screaming into the woods. So Aww. that's what's next. <laughs> All right. I just uh, have a break. Just, and then I'll come back, yeah. not screaming anymore. So that's
0: yeah. good. <laughs> um, you can find Heidi's uh, website and social media info in the description down below. And thank you so much for coming. And um, I'm going to say goodbye to you and I'll just close out the rest of the show. Okay.
1: Right, bye. bye. Nice bye. to see you. Bye. You too.
0: All right everybody thank you so much for watching uh if you enjoyed the show don't forget to like and subscribe right down there so you don't miss another episode and also tell your friends because that is how people find out about stuff like this um there's a description down below there's a link where you can subscribe via email so you can get an email reminder and there's also a link for my patreon and so the patreon money goes to help pay for like my technical costs um The platform and and my camera and microphone and all the different stuff that I use um and so thank you so much to our patreon subscribers their their names are going to be in the outro um I appreciate them so much and I'm just so happy that they continue to support the show uh the social media guests are uh the social media for our guests sorry is in the description down below along with the pub talk live social media information as well and thank y'all so much for watching. Let's see if there are any comments to close out. Heather said bye. I have a lot of new books to read in the new year. Um, Yeah, so I will see y'all in 2020. We're going to have Rachel Hartman and Fran Wilde are going to be my guests for the January 11th episode. So uh, make sure you check that out. And I have a lot of really, really Thank you so much for listening to this pre-recorded episode of Pub Talk Live. To find out more about the show and find out how you can watch live, go to pubtalk.live. Thank you so much to my Patreon podcast sponsors, Brenda Drake, Jay Lynn, and Reframe.